This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. So we're in this series called Locked Up and, and Not Out. Actually, we've been now 10 weeks in the book of Ephesians. We're looking at Paul's prison letters. There are four, and now we're just concluding the first one today, the book of Ephesians, and then Mario will be launching us into Philippians next, next week, Church on the Lawn. And for those online, um, same for you, regular time, 9 and 10.30, be a message in worship online as, as well. But it's always great to gather out there in the sunny weather and worship together and then eat because we got to have food, right? But we've been talking about um, what it looks like to walk out this faith journey as individuals. And Philippians will take us into more of a community. How do we walk this out as a faith community? We'll be talking more about that in in, in the coming days. But as I've been sharing with you, the uh, book of Ephesians is really divided the six chapters into two parts. The first part is really doctrine and so on. The second part, chapters four, five, and six, are about how do we walk this out as faith believers. And so last week we talked about being imitators of God and so on, and along with some other things. And today we're gonna keep, we're gonna keep on going as we conclude chapter six. And what Paul says is, is there's a battle, but there's a way to fight the battle. Let me share a couple stories with you first. Um, anybody know this guy named Billy Graham? Stupid question, right? Okay, you can say stupid question. Everyone knows Billy Graham. Well, how many have read the book called Angels? Have you heard of that book? So when it first came out, I, I, I read that book. And in that book, Billy Graham relates a, a story that was told by Reverend John Patton, who was a missionary in, in the South Pacific. It's an amazing story and illustrates how God provides angels to protect and care for his believers. Now, I do believe that God watches over and protects us and I believe that he gives his angels charge over us. Um, and I think you probably do as well. But listen to this story. Because one night Patton and his wife found themselves in a very um, hostile in- environment and being threatened by those that they were called to serve. They had surrounded their, their mission headquarters. And they thought for sure that their life was over, the Pattons, these the missionaries. And that they would break in and kill them both. And so they went to their knees in prayer. They prayed throughout the night, asking God to protect them from harm. Listen to what happened. The next morning, they were astonished when they realized that those who had meant harm were gone. They had no idea where or why they had left. And so again, they prayed and gave God thanks to, for, for, for saving them. By a year later, here's what happened. The, the chief of the village comes to faith comes to Christ. He was the one who was leading the charge and threatened them. He came to visit the patents and he says when he, was, when he was asked about the incident of that night of terror, here's what he said. The chief responded, they had seen an army of giant men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands surrounding the mission grounds. That's what they saw. So the patents and the chief agreed that there was no other explanation other than God has sent his angels to protect them. Do you believe that story? I do. I absolutely do believe it. Next story, maybe you heard the missionary Jim Elliott, who did lose his, his life, but something happened during the attack when Jim Elliott and others were killed. Um, once the possibility of killing was raised amongst the tribe, 
who were going to go after Jim Elliott and theirs, there was a general tone that shifted on their part in terms of preparations for the battle. They knew that these men had guns. They didn't know that Jim Elliott and these men would not use their guns, but several of them attacked. And when they attacked and actually took their life, here's what they report hearing. Strange supernatural voices and seeing moving lights in the sky during the attack as if God sent an angelic choir to celebrate the faithfulness and the homecoming of his loyal servants. Do you believe that story? I do. I do. Dave, who is our missions pastor, is sitting down here. He'll tell you that when we take teams to India, to other parts of the world, other countries, um, that we often warn them about um, nightmares that you may or may not have. And this is a re real, real thing, isn't it, Dave? Warn them that this could happen because this is a spiritual attack that often takes place, and many have experienced that. I experienced that in my dreams one time in such a vivid way, it was as if I was standing, as, as, just like I'm standing here before you now and seeing you. That's how real it was for me this night. When I dreamt um, that there were demons that were coming, I can still remember them as clear as I'm standing here today, three of them coming. And the only thing I knew to do, and I believe comes out of my mother's prayers and instructions, was just pray the name of Jesus. And that's all I could do in my dream. And as real as it was, so was the name of Jesus. And they disappeared. Others have experienced those type of things. What do these stories um, mean? Well, I think simply one thing, and here it is. It's what we're going to be talking about today, that we're in a spiritual battle. Do you believe that? We are in a spiritual battle. You're in a spiritual ba battle. And Paul says, this is what you need to know, and then this is what you need to do. And so we're at the close of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 12, and here's what Paul says. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then he says, just put on the whole armor of God. Now I want to stop there for just a second, um, and I'll read the rest of it in a, in a moment, because we illustrate this every day of our life. So we, we put on clothing um, um, that... Um, that um, as, we, as we look at the day, if it's going to rain, we put on clothing um, that will either protect us, shield us, or whatever from the elements of the weather. So like when the weather changes around here, which it will, because we have had way too much sun in the Pacific Northwest, when we move into the rainy season, you're going to prepare for that day, aren't you? So you're going to put on raincoats, you're going to do this and this and this. We're going to prepare, we're, we're going to get ready before we head out into those elements. If you have kids, especially our younger kids, right, what do you do? You would never think about sending them out into the elements, into the weather, into the cold, into the snow, without properly dressing them. You wouldn't think about that. We never thought about it as parents. In fact, you know, we would dress them in boots and hats, so many clothes, you know, they'd probably say like, okay, that's, that's enough. And often kids go like, I don't need to wear a coat. Why don't you wear a coat? Because I'm not cold. Well, we do that, right? So this is what Paul's illustrating. He says, look, be strong. Now put on the whole armor of God because the elements that you're facing, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, 
Paul is speaking, when he's describing the elements, he's not talking about sun, you know, he's not talking about snow, ice, rain. Obviously, he's talking about something different, and it's what we face each and every day. When he's speaking about the battle, there are three things I want to share with you before we dive a little bit deeper. Number one is this, the battle is real with the real enemy. I probably don't need to tell you that, but if you think, oh, um, the devil, and you, your picture is like the devil's got, what, he's got, uh, got horns, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's kind of a comic picture of the devil, and that's about it. Listen, the enemy is real. Listen to the scripture, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded and be watchful. For your adversary, who? The devil. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's his devour. That's his modus operandi. That's what he does. He seeks people that he can attack. He seeks people that he can devour. Now, let me, let me kind of insert here. I'm not the guy that finds a demon under every rock or in the sound system of every church, you know, which, okay, I'm not that guy. But I do know that the enemy is real because we experience that, and that's what Peter says. John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. Do you know there's, there is an enemy that's warring against you? Do you know that? Yes. yes, okay. Number one, the enemy is real. Number two, it's, it is not in the natural realm. It's not in the natural realm. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Sometimes we, we tend to try to fight this battle in the natural. It's not in the natural realm. That's why Paul says it's against spiritual forces and evil in heavenly places. So it's important how we arm ourselves. We'll look at that in just a moment. And, but what is important is the third one, and it's this. That it's not fought, not won by one's natural abilities. Now, you may be a biblical scholar and you got the Bible memorized word for word. It's not our natural abilities. It's not even how naturally wonderful, handsome, and beautiful that you are. Amen? It's not won by natural abilities. We can't. So that's why Paul says in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. One of my favorite Old Testament Bible passages is Second um, Chronicles chapter 20. And um, Jehoshaphat is facing a battle. And he, he just comes with this. He goes like, okay, God, like, we don't know what to do here. He had, a he had armies coming towards him. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And what he was declaring at that is like, hey, we can't fight this battle. We can't do it. But we know you can, so our eyes are focused on you. And of course, at the end of that story, we see that's exactly what, what happened. This is not a battle that can be fought in our own strength. Now, I'm going to give you kind of the, the bluff, right? The bottom line up front. The bluff. Here, here it is. Number one, God wins. So there should be like a better response to that right there, right? God wins. Amen. Amen. We know that. So number two, and this is, this is why you came to church to learn this right here. The believer can expect attack. You go like, really? Yeah, really. So you can expect attack. If you're not attacked today, you'll be attacked tomorrow in some, some form or fashion. So we can believe that because the, the, the enemy, the devil, they didn't care about those who are not followers of Jesus, right? 
He didn't care about that. It's you and, and it's me. And number three, God works through people and equips his people. Now, I wish God would ask me my opinion about this one right here. Because I would say, like, God, like, you, you, you got this one wrong right here. Because I just wish, like, God would just do it himself. Do you? Sometimes, like, come on now. So, God, would you just take care of this? Because you do it better than we do it anyway. And you always do it right. So why do you choose to work through people? Maybe that's your question too. I've wondered that. So God, why? I mean, like, so we're, we, we screw it up sometimes. We mess it up. We don't always do it right. God, maybe you just need to take over. Well, he has. And he has said, I'm, I'm going to work through people. But it's not going to be in your strength. It's not going to be how you th- wish to do it. It's going to be how I do it through you. The old story, David and Goliath, really kind of illustrates this, right? And that's a story. I chose one that we would, we would all know. You, you know the story, right? And so often we think about the, the giant X number of feet tall. And, and David, you remember how many stones he picked up? Three. Yeah, all right, thank you. How many stones did it take? Yeah, exactly right. So, um, you know, that's how David equipped himself um, for the battle. Now, you, you would think that, like, this is a giant. So, um, f- you know, huge guy, fully armored. That you got to come against him, right, with the same equal armor. David picks up a stone, a few stones, what he declares is this, and this is, this is really where Paul is bringing us to. David says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But what do I do? I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And that battle was won because of what the Lord did. Now, don't we wish that there weren't, what, Goliaths in our world? Don't you wish that? I, we all do, but they exist and they're there. But like David in this story, you and I are equipped for spiritual battle. And we must be in the battle because the enemy is waging war. Now let me say something and it's this. This is not a time for the followers to hide away. This is not a time for us to say, like, I just don't want to engage. I'm just going to stand on the side. This is not a time to do that. We are, we are equipped for war. We are equipped for the battle that is before us. I'm going to share with you a psalm that I have sat on for some time and even more so the last couple of weeks that when I read it, every time I read it, there are a number of emotions, a number of things that begin to surface in my heart. And perhaps for you, it will be the same. But Psalm chapter 11, verse number three, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Think, if the foundations are destroyed, what, what are we going to do? Do you know that there is an enemy seeking to destroy the very foundations on which our faith rests? Do you know that? There's an enemy seeking to destroy the truth of who Jesus is, the way to, um, to the Father, to a relationship with the Father. There's an enemy warring against that. There's an enemy warring against your family and my family, against you and against me. And David says, if, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I would just like for you to take a moment just to reflect 
on what that moment was like for David. Kind of pondering that, God, what are we going to do? Most often, that's translated this way, if or when this happens, what do we do, if and when? We are brought to the thought of a ruined society and what it faces when the most basic aspects of godliness are removed. What are we going to do? From my commentary, David knew what would happen if the enemy triumphed because he was Israel's king. If the enemy succeeded, the nation's very foundations would be destroyed. Law and order grounded in righteousness and justice under the headship of the godly king would crumble. Evil and chaos would ensue. ensue. What could the righteous do in such a situation? What, what will we do? And that's the question. What if the foundations are destroyed? What are we going to do? David believed, of course, and it goes back to our first point. God wins. We know that. David was sure that law and order would continue because his trust was in the Lord. Therefore, we can be confident that the enemy would not triumph. We know that. But there's a battle to wage and there's a battle to be won. There is an attack against the foundations on which our faith rests. And I don't need to tell you that. You already know it. After describing the battle, um, David or Paul goes on and he says this, it's not against flesh and blood, it's against the cosmic powers, but this is how you need to prepare. So this is how you need to dress. Now, um, this has been taught in so many different, different ways, but let me just read it for you and kind of visualize kind of heading out into the elements and being prepared for them, okay? Therefore, now we all know what therefore means, right? Therefore, so since this is true, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So get ready. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, we'll come back to that in a moment if you're someone who highlights your circles, circles, stand firm. Stand, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and all supplication. I think as Paul's penning this letter, there's a sense of urgency on his part. And so the exhortation for every believer is this, you got to stand firm. Um, that is, there would be no retreat from the battle, having done all. Stand firm. Stand. I'll call it a mandate for you and for me, a mandate for every follower of Jesus, that we must be people who stand firm. It's a military term for holding on to a position Recognizing that before you can move forward, before an offensive can be launched, one must first of all maintain his own ground. So Paul says you got to stand firm. And so in this kind of vivid imagery that all his readers would understand, and I believe that we do too, of course, he describes what is needed to do so and what are we to take up or what are we to put on. So here's what I like to do. I'm just going to kind of walk through them. 
And I'd like for you to kind of keep an open mind and open heart and just, just ask, how am I doing here? So if you can kind of visualize heading out into the elements, how am I doing here? Am I well equipped? The first one is the belt of truth. We have talked about, we did a series some time ago, um, Truth Matters, that we must be people who stand on the truth. And so when Paul said this, there was something about the belt of truth that his hearers would understand. Before putting on his armor, a soldier would first put on a belt around his waist. This belt served two purposes. Number one, of course, it held his garments together, but it also served as a place to hang his armor. Now, I'd like for you to think about that for just a moment. It was the very thing on which his armor would rest, the truth. That's why we teach best we can biblical truth that must be a part of our life that everything else, all of life hinges on. We are to be people who stand on the truth of who he is and who God has called us to be and to be ready to die for that truth. That's what this battle's all about. If we understand the imagery here and the importance of the belt in relation to the soldier's army, then we understand that at, at, the, at the very core of our armor of being prepared to, to wage battle is the truth on which we stand. It's a truth that we must not waver from, not in our words and not in our actions. It's the belt of truth. Everything else hinges on this. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. This is kind of interesting. It covered a critical area from the neck to the thighs. And so one Greek historian says it was also known, and maybe, maybe you know this, maybe it's new for some. Um, the breastplate of righteousness was also known as the heart protector. Think about that. We are to walk in righteousness, our thoughts, actions, and in our attitudes. The righteousness comes only from the work of Christ in, in our life and not our own doing. We protect our heart. As Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So it's a heart protector. What's that look like? Well, there are sometimes... Um, in the midst of a battle when our heart can begin to stray. And I think sometimes it comes out of exhaustion sometimes. Sometimes it's because we're just, we're tired and we find things coming into our heart that don't belong there. So the breastplate of righteousness is a heart protector. So the question is, how's your heart? Thirdly, feet, shot, uh, feet fitted with the gospel of, of peace. This is interesting because I've always taught it, and perhaps you, you will, you have as well, with more of, this is about sharing the gospel story. Now, it is that, and it does include being ready to share the good news of the gospel, the gospel story. We've talked about that as well, but it really goes beyond that. Um, feet fitted or shod with a gospel of, of peace speaks to the believer's steadiness, his stability, his sure-footedness from the gospel which gives him peace. Josephus described it this way. He says, shoes thickly studded with sharp nails so as to ensure a good grip. So here's what that means. Feet, feet fitted with a gospel piece means that we stand firmly on the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other way to the Father 
There is no other gospel. We stand sure-footed on the truth of the gospel, that there's only one way to a relationship with him. And this gospel really translates into this, I know that I know that I know that I know, therefore I stand firm, sure-footed. It's a gospel of, of grace. Does it work that way? Yes, it does. Years ago, I was in the conversation. You know, I was in another city um, with, with a, um, another pastor. And um, we were having a discussion. I was sharing with him the story of a person I was aware of who in his dying moments came to faith in Jesus. And what I heard from my pastor friend stunned me. I was just a young guy. Um, stunned me because this is what he said. You ready? I don't think it works that way. And I remember thinking, uh, that's exactly how it works. You proclaim faith and trust in Jesus, it does work that way. This is the gospel of grace. Well, it doesn't work that way happened at the end of his life. No, it does work that way. It does work that way. And you and I have nothing else to stand on except the truth of the gospel that we know. So it's a sure-footedness. The shield of faith is the next one. It's the confidence that we live and we do, do all of life. This shield was made of, you know, it's, 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 it's wood. It's like two and a half inches, they describe it, four feet long, overlaid with linen and, and leather that would absorb fiery arrows. It, it was a soldier's um, pr protection. This is biblical faith that allows us to trust in a sovereign God that no matter what comes our way, a sovereign God directs our life. Even when we don't understand or even when we go like, I, I don't think that's what I want, God. We trust a sovereign God. It's the shield of faith. It protects us. It's a confidence from the attempts of the enemy to do a number of things. And some things we may be experiencing right now. Now, when we think sometimes of battle, you know, I don't know what you have in your mind, um, but sometimes we, we see the warriors going out in the field and stuff like that. We were like, we don't, that's not me. But here's what the enemy does to you and here's what he does to me. He'll, he'll, he'll bring in, in discouragement into your life or he'll, he'll attempt to. Or he'll bring things like question you like, what, what purpose do you have, you know, or, or this or that. I mean, all kinds of arrows that he is shooting at us. And the shield of faith says, look, I have a confidence and I, I live with that and I, I will die with it. It's the shield of faith and it protects us from the attempts of the enemy, enemy no matter what he's doing to distract us in all of life. It's biblical faith. It's trusting a sovereign God in all of life. The helmet of salvation is the next one. And it just is this. I just wrote that. Like, go ahead and kill me. Because I have the assurance of salvation and the devil or no one can steal that away. Do you have that assurance? So like, let's do battle, right? Like nothing can steal away the fact that when, I'm, when I leave this world at whatever moment in, in, in time, I'm with Jesus, pretty good place even if you're not an amen or to go like amen you know that because that's true that's the helmet of salvation like that's to trust it it protects us first Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 8 through 11 but since we belong to the day let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love 
And for a helmet, the hope of salvation, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the gospel, gospel, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live for him, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So he's like to say like, hey, offer an encouraging word. Build one another up. Like, that's our hope. The hope is, is real. So it doesn't matter what you do to me. My eternity is with, with Jesus. The sword of the spirit, the word of God. The Bible is our guide in all life. So we talk about it a lot here. If you're new to Gateway, like, are you in the Bible? Are you reading the Bible? Are you standing on, on, on his word? The sword of the spirit or the word of God. It's our guide. It's both defensive and offensive. Now, sometimes our, our reading habit um, might look like I'll go to the Bible when I need it. So you know where I'm going with that one, don't you? It's like, I only go to the refrigerator when I need to eat. So when do you need to eat? Every day, right? Uh-huh. Every day. Me too. So we all do. So we need the word of God in our life. Jesus quoted scripture when he was tempted by Satan. Now it's kind of interesting, kind of a little side note. The enemy knows when we're vulnerable, he does. He knows our weak points. He knows when we're, when we're vulnerable. Or, and that's when he comes to us. And this is what we see going on here. So Matthew chapter 4, um, just listen to what happens. Jesus, then Jesus was led up to the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Guess what happens? And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, and here he's quoting from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's the power of the scripture. I don't know how many times, and I, I'm sure this is your story too, um, that maybe I have sensed discouragement setting in just a little bit, or kind of warning, I'm not sure what to do, or which way to turn, and God's word gives direction. It always does. It always does. It's the sword of the spirit. Secondly, it's prayer. And although it's not a piece of armor like what we have read, prayer is a focus of the mind, a mind that is stayed or firmly fixed on him. It's always living with eyes up, trusting him, looking to him, looking to the Father in all of life, regardless of what we're, what we're facing today. Uh, Paul Bielheimer says this, Satan doesn't care how many people read about prayer if only he can keep them from praying. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? Like you read and study about prayer all you want. If I can just like keep you, your schedule busy, if I can keep your mind off of praying, he doesn't care, know all you want if he can keep us from praying. So here's what I want to ask you um, is how are you dressed, spiritually speaking? What's that look like? So maybe when we were kind of walking through this, someone's go like, truth, tell the truth. Um, how's that looking? Um, how, about, how about the exhortation to stand? The heart protector, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the surety that you're going to be in heaven if you're a follower of Jesus and you stand firm on that, on that truth. Um, faith. The helmet of salvation, um, the sword of the spirit. How, how, how are you dressed? That's kind of the question today as we kind of close out the book of, of Ephesians. 
And I'd like for us to stand right now, and I'm going to pray for you, and would you do that? And I just want you to open up your heart. So like maybe we have found ourselves maybe doing this thing on our own, whatever that might look like for you. It looks different um, for all of us. Maybe, maybe we have found our, maybe, maybe the idea of, of being in the battle is not something that we've embraced, right? Because we don't feel equipped to do so. Maybe, maybe that's you. Um, may, maybe we have, we have questioned um, the sure, um, the, the sure footedness, the steadfastness of the gospel. And maybe, just maybe, the enemy has come into your life. He was like, you screwed up. You're, Christians don't screw up. Christians, are you really that? Maybe that's what that looks like. And so wherever the Spirit may be speaking to you would, you, would you just lift that up to him? We're in this battle. There is an enemy, but we win because God wins. We stand firm because what he does in us and through us. So Father, I, I just pray that you'd speak to all of us right now, each and every one of us. God, you, you have equipped us everything that we need. That's what your word says. And some of us are facing a spiritual battle, even, even right now. And sometimes we feel like we're failing at it. But would you just remind us that it's you. You've equipped us. And that spiritual battle for some of us looks like discouragement. Um, that has settled in. Maybe um, it's our heart. Maybe there are things in there that God, you just would deal with even even today, maybe it's, it's I know that I know that I know that I know. Maybe it's the sure-footedness of the gospel story. God, would you just speak to us? And when we go out from this place, um, I pray that we, we would do so with the confidence, um, with faith believing that you are in all and that you are over all, everywhere and every time. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Yeah. 
commitment. And that's the confidence we stand on, isn't it? Now, I'm going to 